Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. Wow, July in the garden. Over half the year gone already. I know, we've seen the uh, the, the longest day, the solstice, haven't we? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I think July is already proving... It could be hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, certainly June was lovely and warm for those that like it warm. And I mean, I, uh, in some respects, I like it because it means you have to get the washing can out and mm. um, go and water the allotment and give the. I mean, I've, I've been very good this year, Chris. You'll be pleased to hear. I've watered my hanging baskets good. pretty much every day when wow. it's been sunny. Oh, so they're actually doing really well this year. So that's amazing. Good. That's good to hear. And, you know, for those people who have been going on holiday at this time of the year, of course, that can be a bit fraught as I've just returned from from a week um, yeah and perhaps was a very hot week unfortunately but i have to say a bit of preventative cover by putting things in trays and saucers using a bit of swell gel in some of the pots as well and moving plants into shade has worked really well i've lost a few things i have to okay. say but nothing nothing major and plants will recover yeah thank goodness <laughs> they do bounce back no definitely I, I think that's well i'm very fortunate i've got a lovely neighbor who if i take the pots around she'll often she gives them most water whenever they need it she loves her garden so fantastic it, it's yeah. a, a real bonus but the ones that i a bit heavy i, I tend to put them down the side of the house in the mm. shade yeah. and to be fair they do okay, but yeah, if you're away from a couple of weeks, it can get a bit Ooh, touch and go. A bit fraught, indeed. So what events and things are going on this month then, Chris? Yeah, we've got a few really big flower shows, Peter, to, to yeah. look forward to. I mean, the biggest one, and it is always touted as the world's largest flower show, of course, is, really? is Hampton Court. Okay, I never realised it was yeah. um, the world's largest. I yeah. mean, I, I, I suppose, the, what about the tulip display in... Um, Good old Kukenhof. Kukenhof, yeah. yeah, the Kukenhof Gardens. Yeah, I suppose that's a display of what of a... Are they live plants, I suppose, whereas yeah. the Hampton Court is uh, cut flowers, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a bit of everything. It's gardens, and they do a lot of crafty things there as well. And, of course, they have the big marquees. And, of course, it's, it used to be, you know, the big rose festival as well. It's less, less as it used to be there on that side. But it is a big showground. I think that's the thing. It fills a lot of acreage. So perhaps that's how they get around yeah. that. That's open. And it's obviously in a wonderful setting with that wonderful stretch of long water, that stretch of like a canal running right into the into the showgrounds, which you obviously have to cross on a pontoon to get from one side of the showground to another on a hot yeah. July day. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice place to be. And, of course, that backdrop of that fantastic... Uh, Picturesque, uh, isn't oh, it? Oh, it is. It's fantastic, stuff. yeah. So so that's um, that's the 4th to the 9th. At the Garden Centre here, we've got a, a really good treat for, for anybody who's interested in garden design or maybe thinking about giving their garden a makeover. We've got Tom Gadsby's Garden Design Masterclass. Okay. Um, that's going to be here on the, um, on the 6th of July, which is Wednesday at 4 and uh, I'm hoping we're going to have a, a few people to, to come along and enjoy that because Tom Brilliant. is well known to, to the garden centre for his uh, his garden designs. And then we've got, well, the next one is a bit of an interesting one, isn't it? The 16th and the 17th, the Belvoir or... Beaver. Bel- right, I, reckon okay. it, I reckon it's Beaver, Beaver. Castle. I, I, I might be wrong. Okay. Do let us know if I am wrong because I probably am. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, but either I'm, Belvoir or, or Beaver, Beaver Castle. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, and that's, yeah, and I believe I've seen, I mean, it's a very, another, yes, another wonderful dramatic backdrop to a flower show. So that's okay. why I go there as well. And then towards the end of the month, on the 20th to 24th of July, we've got the RHS Tatton Flower Show. Okay, is that that's one up north? Is it, it is, yeah. yeah. It's up in it's Cheshire, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Tatton. Okay. Um, as a kid, I used to go to Tatton Park. It's very famous for its deer park, if I remember rightly. 
Yes. Mm. And didn't we have a discussion about it on great, no, greatest parks of the UK? You, you're correct, Peter. Yes, we did. It's it's in, it's in the top sort of top, top five or top, top ten or twenty yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lovely place. And again, a perfect setting for a, an RHS show up north as well. Brilliant. So plenty to be going over. So, so but these national shows, as we've seen with obviously the uh, the Gardeners World Live and Chelsea, have been so popular with the weather being you know behaving itself as well. Yep, always gets the crowds out, doesn't it? I think it makes it so much more enjoyable. It does, yes. And what's been in the news that's caught your eye recently, Chris? Yeah, a story I saw in Garden News uh, magazine. It's basically another national scheme to encourage homeowners to rent out a bit of spare land to people who want to grow some food. Okay, that sounds like a good idea, because I know we've spoken before, haven't Mm. we, about the fact allotments are so oversubscribed and... The use it and lose it and sort of mm. saying and the fact that there aren't enough allotments in certain areas. So I guess that, that's a really good use for underutilised land. Indeed, yeah. Um, where do we signpost people? Yeah, so it's called allotme.co.uk. That's the, 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 the website. But uh, it's basically the first ever online uh, facility so you can oh, click on there yep. so it's nice and uh, easy to navigate it's had quite a bit of investment from uh, people who are obviously seeing a, a good possible return for this as a uh, an opportunity a business opportunity but it's also to try and you know bring 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 about this 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 uh, uh, leveling up of as the government sort of call it is of people to get access to land Okay. Um, as you say, through a route other than allotment, which you can be on a waiting list for for many many years. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, they're they're hoping that they're going to get enough support to to make it work really well. So it's getting quite a lot of publicity now. So it's probably nice to give it a, a little mention. Brilliant on, on the podcast. Well, yeah, and like you say, so people need a little bit of land to rent at a sensible price. Mm. A lot me. uk. Yeah, good name. Yes. I notice houseplants are in the headlines again, aren't they? Mm. How great they are for our well-being and cleaning the air and making... And one thing I must say, Chris, is mm. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. When you go into a houseplant room, mm. which is really ram-packed full of plants, the smell. Yes. It's always like really nice, natural smell in there, isn't even, there? Even the foliage, isn't it? Especially if you've been sort of misspraying and, and obviously mm. you've got plenty of compost as well. So you do get that slight earthy smell. One thing I did notice at home, Peter, when I went on holiday, I had to basically completely clear out my conservatory of houseplants. I bet, yeah. Otherwise, and I walk, we walked in the other day, we walked in and it sounded so empty and hollow. Echoey, I bet. Yeah. yeah. So... Houseplants obviously absorbed sound, so they're quite good at doing that. And of course, suddenly you put them back, and it feels like home again. So, for yep. all the well-being, I think yeah, the sense of well-being for yourself as much as the plants themselves is a yep. lot good. But this, um, yeah, this report's come out of Reading University, and they basically have found that uh, yeah, the perceptions of plants now are uh, is now very much instated into our culture, which is going to be a good thing for the future. Brilliant. Well, I'm no, I'm sure. It, it is a good thing. And the other thing of talking about holidays, Chris, mm. I mean, sometimes a simple way to look after your houseplants whilst you're away is to put them outside, isn't it? Or yeah. do you ever give your houseplants a shower in the rain if I you do. get a rain shower? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I certainly put out quite a lot of meat. My cacti and succulents, my citrus, my uh, lemon trees are outside now. Right. Um, certainly people with Christmas cacti and Easter cacti often put them outside. You've just got to be a little bit careful because you think about your houseplants, they're going to be... Uh, obviously in shade within the house so they're going to be a well well away from a window normally so yep. if you put them outside they're going to get a full exposure to the sun yep. so they need to be in dappled shade outdoors 
And presumably the wind as well, because mm. I know growing when you plant vegetables, yeah. and I germinate mine inside, and then the first, I put them out for a few hours and Indeed. then half a morning maybe, and it yeah. gradually acclimatise them to the mm. wind. It always surprises me that how little wind you need to do damage to plants that haven't been exposed to the they're, wind. They're delicate at the end of the day. They're in, obviously in the home where they're not getting any breeze at all, or maybe very little. Um, maybe they're perhaps the only breeze they get is when the, the vacuum cleaner passes, I don't know. Yeah. So you're quite right yeah so and be careful on the watering and of course be careful when you bring your house plants in later on in the year that you don't bring any other un- un- unrequired pests along i'm thinking yes. i'm thinking really things like uh well earwigs perhaps and obviously slugs and snails uh, and then the other things like vine weevil perhaps so yeah be, be a little bit diligent but uh, yeah give your plants a holiday if, if you can okay and thinking about plants going on holiday mm. The other issue sometimes is people bringing plants back from holiday, oh, isn't it? It is, Peter, and that's now really being frowned upon by by the ministry, the uh, good old DEFRA. Um, certainly yep. they've created this campaign this summer to, to make us think very carefully about doing such things. Well, I think it's about time, because I mean, mm. when you go to Australia or America, they are so on the ball with regards mm. to sort of stopping everything and anything going yes. into their country that they don't want, whereas... Yes. This country, I don't think the signage is quite as clear, is it? Maybe. People don't possibly realise that they're not meant to bring cuttings and seeds and all sorts back in. Huh? Yeah. And I think also as well, we've obviously we've now entered Brexit, we're out of the EU, so perhaps yep. we're being more careful at protecting our, our wonderful island as well. So I think it's a combination of things, but it's a long time coming, as you say. But obviously a lot of people, you know, if you go to some, like Madeira, you might want to bring a, you know, a bird of paradise, mm. slip back or, a, um, or some seeds, which of course, you know, then I suspect it's changed now. We're obviously available at the airport. So the temptation was there as well. So please, please, please don't bring anything back at all. However tempting is, try and source the plant or the seeds in this country when you get back. Yep. And that's, that's probably my better advice as well. But um, I think it's, yeah, at the end of the day, we, 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 are, we are in a situation now where biosecurity is just so important. So we know at the garden centre here, we're very conscious of that. Well, yeah, because all our plants have plant passports and mm-hmm. we have full traceability on them and yes. I, I think it's a jolly good thing that we do it's a bit of a hassle filling mm. in all the paperwork each time we bring plants in but at the end of the day if there is an issue we know where it comes from and also exactly. if say there is an issue with a nursery mm-hmm. therefore can then trace it back to that nursery and hopefully find out where else the plants have gone so they can secure the Mm-hmm. issue if there is ever, ever a problem that's very true and i mean obviously as a company we made a decision about five years ago not to to uh, sell olive trees because of the, the dreaded xylella disease so yep. i mean and those obviously are still around although i've noticed after saying my travels not as popular as they used to be so perhaps mm. the message is getting through that perhaps olive trees are probably not the most desirable things uh, to, to be growing but the um Lots of things. This this article, which was in, again in Garden News, was saying that um, basically uh, it's, it's responsible, so, uh, you know, sourcing of your plants. So obviously, coming into garden centres these days, you're going to notice a, a plant passport number either on the on the label or sometimes, often if it's a Dutch plant on the pot, they actually yep. print them on the pot there, which is which is good. Um, and obviously, try and if you do find you've got problems with your plants, even if you're buying them from a UK nursery you know make make people aware you know if it's something really odd happening to a plant which you you think is not your normal you know uh, pests and diseases then sometimes it's not a bad thing just to you know if you bought the plant from a from your local garden center to, to contact them 
Um, and then obviously we could then follow it through just as a just as a peace of mind more than anything. And I, I think the other thing we found out after reading the article, um, planthealthaction.org, mm. if you've got young children, there's a really brilliant little activity book on there, isn't there, it's... that introduces you to lots of pests and diseases, that some of which you might never have seen before, but there's some nice little fun activities, you know, sort of like crossword puzzles and mazes and just yeah, doctor nice, doctor. Yeah, yeah. nice little things to do. So if you're looking for something for your children to do, Definitely have a look at that. Yeah, perfect for the school holidays, I'd say, yes. And the Eden Project have been busy again, haven't they? Very much so. Basically, they've, they've created a... Obviously, we're all familiar with the Eden Project, those amazing biomes um, yep. in the hillside. So what they've done, they've created and crafted some really good plantings to encourage, obviously, pollinating plants. And they've planted, okay. looking at the specs, 7,000 plants from 64 different species uh, and just to basically create this amazing floor artwork, it does sound really good. And I'm sure from the from the air or from a, a good viewing point, it will look amazing. Uh, mm. But it, but it has a strong message that you know uh, basically the pollinator path marker is the is this sort of technology they're using to try and create these amazing sort of designs uh, in the open place. And obviously that might help us as gardeners to appreciate. A lot of the species which you can grow for those those pollinators to encourage your your, your bees and your, your other pollinators in your garden. Yeah, because it looks like they've created a website. So at pollinator.art, mm. um, you can have a play with designing your own garden and seeing it come into flower. And Yeah, it looks it looks a fun thing to do, actually, doesn't it? Again, a little project you can do and, and get a nice visualisation of your own garden full of those wonderful uh, pollinating plants. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Eden Project. Yeah, it's a good one. That's it. And also, just thinking about things coming into bloom, I noticed the Tower of London, they've redone yes. the moat. It's a moat, is it's it? Or moat, it's yeah. a grass moat, is it? It is, yes. yes <laughs> but it's yeah. no longer a grass moat. A couple of years ago, it was all beautiful red poppies. poppies. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. I read an article about how many different varieties they're planted in it this time. It's, a, again, a real lovely wildflower sort of meadow mixture. Yes. It is, and um, yeah, I mean, I saw it quite recently on the TV. They they did a link from one of the breakfast programs showing it. Obviously, early on in the morning with the sun just coming over, it looked amazing. And what they've done quite cleverly, Peter, they've sort of created um, sort of uh, brushes of different colours. So they've they've um, they've created this amazing kaleidoscope of colour overall. But each sort of strip or pattern is carefully choreographed to give you a sort of a blend of, sort of yellows and blues, reds and whites. So they've really thought it through. So visually, okay. you you know, it, it creates like a, well, like a stream of colour. Oh, wow. The, Do you know who street. designed it? Uh, a gentleman by the name of Nick Dunnett is, is sort of one of the masterminds behind. He's okay. uh, he's quite prolific on, on Instagram and Twitter. So ah. I'm sure if you follow, follow uh, his, uh, yeah, sorry, Nigel Dunnett, sorry, his ni- name is Nigel Dunnett, and he's at, ni- at Nigel Dunnett on Twitter, and he's obviously showing what how his creation is, is coming along. Brilliant. Okay. So again, another sort of time timeline of photos, I suppose. Indeed, and an ever changing one as well. Yeah. So, and if you can go, if you go to the Tower of, of London, you can see it for free if you look over the walls and enjoy it there. But you can actually go inside as well. Okay. I think you have to pay a little bit of money to do that. Right. Um, but it's yeah, very much a sensory experience apparently when if you go into amongst these amazing flowers too. Brilliant. Good stuff. 
And um, Hardy Destiny is plant of the year, I read. Yes, so, um, yes, obviously the Chelsea Flower Show has come and gone, but this is the, the plant which picked up the big award uh, back in, uh, in the end of May. And uh, it, uh, yeah, so certainly. It's a, a, sem- a symposium? Yes. Is that right? Is that? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so, what it is, it's a cross between a Sempervirin or Sempervirins, yep. which many of you will, will know as house leeks. Yes, we sell a lot at the garden centre here yeah, in yeah. the Alpine area. And then there's another plant called Anonium, uh, which is okay. like uh, it's like a posh, a posh. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a posh form of succulent, often yep. grown on a stem. So what they've done is they've created this sort of uh, this hybrid, if you like, of two different plant species to create this wonderful plant called Destiny. Mm. And uh, it looks really good, I have to say. And it's a little bit different. And normally, when we get plants of the year at, at Chelsea. Uh, or, any, or any of the new sort of trade shows, they tend to be, shall we say, you know, tried and tested plants, you know, roses, yeah, yeah. trees. I think it's quite good that the judges have gone, uh, gone out a little bit way to show and highlight a, a plant which is maybe, you know, its time has come to become popular. And, mm. uh, yeah, we'll have to look out for them next year in the garden centre then. It'd be good if they come through. I, I did have a look and sneak peek, Peter, at the price. They're oh, not, yeah. not cheap. You're looking at sort of 20, 30 pounds for a, for right. a young gush plant. However, Yep. You know, it's new, isn't it? So that yeah, yeah, give it a couple of years and there'll be yeah. ten a penny. Well, let's hope <laughs> we so. Hope. <laughs> and in the MBEs, who's got an MBE recently, Chris? Yes, so again, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee uh, honours came through and it's a, it's a rose grower, Peter. Okay. Uh, one which a lot of our listeners will be familiar with by the name of uh, Dick Dixon. Um, Colin Dixon. Co- Colin Dixon, yes. Yeah. Dixon actually is a... There's quite a few roses with that name attached to them. It's a fam- family. He's from a family of Dixons yeah. who've all grown roses, exactly. from what yeah. I understand. Yeah. And he's the second to receive an MBE after his father. Wow. And, of course, what's quite pertinent, actually, is that Rose of the Year this year, it's a wonderful life, yep. as in the film of the same name, which yep. they had to get special permission to, to use that, if I remember rightly, from our Rose podcast yep. uh, last year. Um, that, of course, was one of his breeding as well. Okay. So in the year he gets his MBE, he's also got Rose, Rose of the year, year, which is Brilliant. really, really good. That's so, a massive accolade, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it just? Yes. Yeah. And uh, it just shows you again, you know, that this, uh, the, you know, the Rose industry, you know, we are so good in the UK. I mean, uh, obviously Colin's based in, in Northern Ireland, but as we know from our discussions with Rose growers, yep. you know, we are a prolific uh, producer of some amazingly good varieties. So uh, long may it continue. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, they are such wonderful plants and... Mm. Who can't love a rose? Indeed. And just thinking on these all these lovely days we're having at the moment, mm. uh, getting the pizza oven oven out, and my pizza oven, I tend to burn um, the Weber briquettes. Um, however, I know a lot of people obviously have wood fired pizza ovens, mm. and really? I saw the most amazing product I thought the other day called the Kindling Cracker. That sounds good. And um, it was fun. designed by a 13 year old about 10 years ago in New Zealand. And essentially, is if you imagine like a log splitter, the mm-hmm. sort of cheese wedge type shaped lumps of iron that we use to yeah. split logs. Mm-hmm. Imagine one of those, but upside down. Right. And it says pointing skywards, and it's got a little ring around the top, and you put a piece of wood on the top of it, and then. 
hit it down and split your logs into kindling. That sounds effortless. <laughs> I doubt it's effortless, Chris. Whenever well, it's manual labour. My, my, my attempts with splitting logs, I, I usually miss them. Uh, yes. Yes, yes. Maybe safer then as well. I would say as, safer. Uh, yeah, in, safer yeah. But no, I, I saw it. How simple, but mm. equally looks a brilliant product. But I think they're 130 odd pounds. So not the cheapest little toy to have in the garden, no. but, but useful. And especially in view of what's happening out there, people might be thinking about going over to uh, to, to wood fuel burners. Yeah. Uh, so anything to to, to uh, make the process safer as well as Definitely. easier uh, would be would be good. That's a good yeah. idea. And um, mm. what have we been selling in the shop? Yes, so we, for our uh, for our top five, Peter, we, what we usually do is we pick out a particular product line. Yeah, so we're doing fertilisers. We are, month, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, so I thought we'd look at the yeah the top selling liquid feeds as we're into that time of the year when we're yep. we're, we're giving our plants lots of uh, lots of H two O as well as fertiliser, and yep. uh, basically these are products from from Doth, which is a really good supplier which we're all for, very familiar with. Um, so going back. Uh, We'll go back in fifth place. Right. Um, that is the container and basket feed. Yep. Which I suppose, in view of the fact we're into hanging basket season now, is not, not uh, surprising. Ericaceous is at number four. Yep. Tomato feed in the third slot. Yep. Rose fertilizer in the second. Okay. And the seaweed plant fertilizer is first. Okay. So is that mm. that's not maxi crops one? That's no, just the doff version. The doff version. That's interesting. Yes, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because uh, obviously at the garden setting we do we do tend to promote it quite regularly as an addition to your uh, granular feed. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tend to like to put me me phosphorus me miracle grow with me uh, me seaweed food, which of course you can do quite safely. So yep. you get the best of both worlds. You get a growth stimulant in the form of the seaweed, and then of course you get the fertilizer, the feeding bits from the from the powdered uh, fertilizer. So okay, so. and so what's the, you've got a top five for the boxed granular feed? Mm, yeah, so it's, it's sort of the products which you tend to use probably maybe a little bit more in the the autumn, winter, and early spring because they break down a lot longer at this time of year. You want fast, yep. you know, pick me up uh, products like the, the liquid feeds. But it's interesting uh, again, re- reverse order as we do. Uh, in number five, sulfate of potash. Okay. So So that's a straight, isn't it? That's a straight. So that's basically just pure potash. Yeah. So brilliant for your flowers and your fruit, so for your fruit trees, for anything producing a crop, perfect. Yep. And uh, you'd be applying that. In fourth place is bone meal. Okay. Which isn't surprising because because we're still planting lots of shrubs and perennial plants. So yep. you'd, you'd want to put that around and that's a basically a root fertilizer. Okay. Uh, Vitax Q4, our, our favourite. Yeah, yeah, favourite. Yep, yep. So, again, a good all-round granular fertiliser. In number two, Vitax Organic Rose Fertiliser. Okay. So, roses yet again showing uh, their uh, their prominence. And in first slot uh, place, uh, Bloodfish and Bone. Wow. Okay. Which, again... F- the mixture of of this mix, so so this particular box fertilizes. It's got the fast elements of the the, uh, the blood, obviously high nitrogen. The fish meal is quite fast acting, and then of course you've got the bone meal as well. So that's often applied. People with allotments might use that on their fruit fruit trees and fruit bushes at this time of the year. Right. And if you've got lots of perennials, you might in between their flowering uh, flushes might yep. give them some of that as well. So quite interesting. It, there's no real pattern there. 
Mm. But uh, obviously, when we we when at time of, of recording, you know that might well change as people get into the tomato and the uh, the, the containers. That might yeah. certainly change over the next few weeks. But well, certainly, yeah, tomato feeds generally outsell in the latter half of the the, the year, don't they? They, they do. So they, they fly out everyone's yeah. Yeah. busily feed. Now, obviously, fertilizers can be used across different mm. sort of species of plants. So although tomatoes food is recommended for tomatoes it's also good for other high demanding plants indeed yes and hence that's why it's such a popular favorite with with us with gardeners it's got the high potash content it's got all the micronutrients so it's got it's, uh, it's got you've got your boron your iron your calciums all the things plants need and of course if you buy something like uh, tomorite or even the doff uh, tomato feed it contains seaweed again so you've got that mm. sort of continuity as well so you know on your on your virtual desert island you know uh, a tomato feed would probably see you through growing <laughs> some really good good things, I would have thought. Good old things. And just thinking about fertilisers, Chris, I mm. noticed my run of beans this year. They're rather mm. yellow. Right. What have I done wrong with them this year? Yeah, I mean, if you... I mean, there's a, I would say, we, obviously, it has been a very dry spring and early summer, and now we're into, into July. That's possible that they are, they've possibly struggled a little bit. Um, when you yep. planted them, Peter, did you put some planting compost in there? Did you put any... any this place? year, no, I didn't. Mm, no, to be no. honest with you, I just um, got their cardboard pots and mm-hmm. uh, sort of dug holes, chucked them in, because mm-hmm. I was in a bit of a rush. And historically, I'd have, I, I always used to put Vitax Q4, a few right. pellets of those in the bottom, and then yeah. did that. But this year, I didn't. I thought, well, I put some compost in there last year surely it'll still be all right but obviously looking back now maybe i should have put some fertilizer in with them yeah and the thing is with legumes in fact all the you know the peas and beans um they they are gross feeders they you know you can't feed them enough so that that q4 just might be enough they need to get them through and then of course if then if you do a bit of liquid feed at this time of year which obviously we tend to do when they're running into flour i mean my runner beans are not in flour yet there's flour bud showing um, I'll start giving them a liquid feed with a bit of, you know, phosphorus or miracle grow. Because that's yeah. what sort of surprised me a bit. Because I've given them two feeds now. Mm. Um, I listened to Jekka obviously saying mm. feed them once a week. So mm. the last couple of weeks I've been Good. giving them some maxi crop, and mm. possibly because I don't measure it out, um, or possibly because it's a bit old. Okay. Um, I think it might be two, three years old. That bottle that's lived in the shed. Um, right. It doesn't seem to have made an effect yet. Right. I mean, how quickly would you expect a yeah. coloration up from looking yellow to going back to a nice deep green? I would say a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay, so it might not be that the fertilizer's knackered. It might. No, <laughs> it, it might just be sort of running out of steam. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying about yeah storage of, of fertilizer and their shelf life is a bit of a debate in itself. And I think you've got to be a little bit careful if if your if your products in the in the shelf are are the solidified. If you've got powders which have become very sort of hard and crusty, yep. reject them certainly. I wouldn't be using those. But maybe okay. just maybe just with in this instance with your max, you know your maxi crop or your, your seaweed food that's should be fired i would have thought and give it a good shake just make yeah. sure it hasn't settled you know settled out well, it seems to it's more like a tar sort of consistency yeah, now so it's, it's, i think it might have been a bit more liquid when i first bought yes, it it's, it's obviously maturing <laughs> i think isn't it like a, like a maybe, fine wine perhaps. maybe i should take my wallet out of my back pocket and go and buy some new stuff maybe but as i say i think yeah. for a quick fish if you've got some miracle grow or, or maybe 
Phosphogen, you know, obviously is having celebrating its sixtieth uh, anniversary, isn't it? And yep. they've, I noticed they've rebranded, and the products are is quite different. It still takes a little bit of a while to dissolve. It's always a bit of a tricky one to get dissolved in the watering yep. cans, I find. However, you know, with that, with a capful of your uh, your super mature seaweed food, I just apply that. But the other thing, Peter, when you are feeding, and it's is quite important, make sure that the soil is damp, moist. Yep. Never ever apply uh, a feed on dry soil because that can actually, again, potentially scorch the roots and okay. know, add, add further stress to the plant. I mean, it, normally when you when we when we feed, we should always follow that. That should be followed you know, from a watering, really. To get okay, that's a good tip. Thanks for that, Chris. Okay. And what jobs should we be thinking of doing this month, then, Chris? Right, Peter. For on the allotment side of things, it's carry on seed sowing, really, for for, okay. for the autumn and winter. And right. for obviously things we maybe want to get some last minute sowings in as well. So if you've got some uh, French beans or runner beans, uh, still time. Uh, if you, if you're what quick. about peas? Peas would be fine. Yes, Should I feed my mice again. You could feed the field mice. Yeah. Yes, um, but no, you've got you've got time. Another couple okay. of weeks. Yeah, into the middle of, of July, you should be absolutely fine there. Um, and obviously, do think about your winter crops as well. You know, your Brussels sprouts. Uh, that's a good point you haven't yeah. planted them yet because i yeah. love my christmas brussels indeed yes well you, well you have to grow them early so you can get them on the pan nice and early as well don't you so, as we know they can take a while uh, now uh, i've never grown them from seed are they yeah. rel- are they fairly easy to grow from they seed are. yes yes okay. so um you've got to catch three too so you can go for a, an f1 hybrid so you go for a, a variety which will all mature at the same time yep. which might be good if you've got some space in the freezer you know, if you've got some space where you can then, you know, if they all come at once and you don't want to be putting the whole family through Brussels sprouts on every meal, um, that might yep. be an option. Or go for open pollinated varieties, which will yep. crop at slightly different times. Okay. So, that sounds probably a bit more more sensible for me. And mm. have you got a favourite open pollinated variety, yeah, Chris? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the variety, actually. Um, yeah, Evesham Special will be the one I would probably go for for an open pollinated variety. Okay, yeah. we'll go and get some of them then. Yeah, indeed, and get so sown. And uh, yeah, so uh, as I say, sow them either you can do them in your, your little uh, modules or just sow them into a, a small half seed tray, germinate them, and then obviously print them out, grow them on in a tray, get them to around about sort of three inches tall. And right, and then move them on into your allotment. So I'm guessing the seeds are going to be quite small. They're not going to be like a sweet corn sort of size, are they? Oh, they're going to be yeah. more like a peppercorn. Yes, they're going to be. Yeah, you, you're not, especially if you go for F1 hybrids. You won't get that many uh, seeds in a package as well. They are quite expensive. So, okay. So, so no, no sneezing fits or hay fever. Okay, so then just like. One seed per cell, or yes, I mean you could you could do. Do they all germinate, or are they? Germination is usually quite good, actually. So okay. yeah, you, if you've got a you know if you've got a tray of a cell of forty, then you should have at least forty seeds. I would have thought so. Put one per cell, and if they don't, one doesn't germinate. It's not the end of the world. Okay, I'll do about twelve then. That'd okay, be fine. I'll do it for <laughs> yes, nice one. Cheers, Kay. And just thinking, Chris, the, about the allotment, I was down there the other day, and I noticed I've got black fly, um, and. Interestingly, I, I cut my laurel hedge, mm-hmm. and that's got loads of tiny little holes all over mm. the leaves. I don't know quite what that might so be. So laurel gets a th- uh, yeah. So laurel has a, a problem of shot hole where you get these holes for no apparent reason. Basically, it's a it's a bacterium which is in the atmosphere. Okay. Into the leaves, it basically kills the cell or cells. Yeah. Very small area of cells. They die. 
creates these sort of shot hole effects in the, yeah. in the leaf. Yeah. And the, the other associated problem you can get with that, especially with laurels at this time of year, the growing tips can get aphid, they can get white fly. Yep. And the associated plants, because the plant grows so quickly, yep. produces all this wonderful sappy growth, which of course is wonderful food for, for those sort of... Uh, but I certainly noticed the wasps and the bees also seem to mm. like laurel, which considering it's not flowering at the moment, no. always amuses me that you think, well, what, they must be going for the wax on the leaves. Possibly the wax, or if you've got aphids, of course, you get the honeydew. Honeydew, yes, yeah, yes, which is, yes. Which is the sugary. Bees, and yeah, the bees love that, that, don't yeah. they? That's yeah. So, yeah, with, with laurels, with the shot hole, there's nothing you can do about it, unfortunately. There's nothing you can spray. Right. The plants normally grow out of it. It's on the nursery here. We, we do have sort of issues, but another flush of growth, and you you know, you know don't notice them. So something that I've lived in the house 12 years now. Mm-hmm. I've never fed them. Okay. Do you think they might juice and grow more, or fish blood and bone, or something? Grow, on the... grow more would be good. Fish blood and bone would be even better. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but again, if it's a laurel hedge, it'll be very dry under the bottom of the yeah. line. So, if you can put a bit of water, or let nature water them for you first, and then put a generous amount, and then water that in. Okay, so, I was yeah. thinking just sprinkling some on the surface, so that's not the way to really. do no, it. You, you need a bit of moisture to, um, to, to okay, drag I'll, it down I'll, to those roots, because those roots will be quite deep. If they're, if they're, if they're, they're well-established plants, you need yeah, to, yeah. yeah. And remember, with a hedge, basically, if you take an imaginary line from the outer uh, levels of the hedge, not near the roots, that's yep. where the feeding roots are going to be. So you might actually find it's, it's maybe in, uh, in your border, so you might actually not be feeding really close to the okay so it's under the block paving in the drive then because it's on my boundary and literally there's a fence one side right and then block paving the other side so maybe liquid feed or foliar feed them okay another option so again you can buy if you might have one of these wonderful miracle grow attachments to your hose hose pipe they're very good and we're restocking those now at the garden center oh the sprayer things yeah yeah. yeah. so you you load that up with that it goes through the product quite quickly so you're going to be quite and for dexterous on your, uh, okay. your application. But if yeah. you do that in the evening when it's gone a bit cooler, then right. you'll, you'll basically folium feed the plants very quickly that way. And of course, the plants take the food through the back of the leaves, they're through the stomata. Yeah. And of course, that'll help the plants enormously, especially if okay. they, yeah, that might just give them a bit of a pick maybe, me up. Yeah. Maybe I'll give them a feed this year if I get time. They won't know what's hitting. <laughs> I hope you realise that. They will have to well, they grow to... fast enough without any care. And, like... <laughs> and then they'll be doing it even more. But no, it, it'll, it'll be a good benefit. It'll, it'll get the plants nice and strong for the winter, which is going to be useful. Excellent. That's good. Okay. And what else do we need to worry about on the allotment at the moment? I mean, potatoes, mm. um, presumably, well, we haven't had any rain. So if you've no. got potato blight, it's not going to be too no, troublesome I, at the moment, I guess. But I've not, I've not heard of any signs of potato blight because it's been so re- relatively dry. It's when we get those very humid, muggy days, which, of course, yep. through the course of July, you know, normally happens. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Um, nothing we can really do. We've obviously we used to have products we could preventatively spray. They've come and gone now. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, if you find that your your leaves have been blighted, the best thing to do is just cut the foliage down to the to the soil yep. level. Get rid of those affected homes. Don't compost them, burn them, or take them off yep. your site. And then, obviously, you hopefully if you caught it in time, your your crop beneath the soil should be unaffected. Okay, because the potatoes are sort of in flower mm, at good. the moment. Just thinking. Oh, I got. To, I wait for them to finish, don't I? Yeah, I mean, any time. Yeah, uh, I would say if any time now, it might be worth just lifting 
one at the end and just see how they're faring. If they're flowering, then that's a good sign they're getting to maturity. Obviously, it does depend on the variety. Okay. Um, I mean, my two um, pot-grown varieties are obviously in containers. They're starting to yellow now, which is again is an indication that they're... Yes, that was yeah. it. The bottom leaves start going yeah. yellow, and then and that's about time to start thinking about digging them up. Yeah, that's best, probably a better indicator than the flowers. The flowers just might be the plants are just you know enjoying growing. They want well, honestly, to, they look a yeah. lot better than the beans this year. They're oh, yeah. proper green, uh, whereas good. the beans are just like, insipid yellow. There we go. Um, but yeah, we, so obviously lift, and if you're growing, obviously first and second earlies, you know, lift them as you need them, so you get those wonderful, lovely waxy potatoes you can take into side and and yeah. cook. Uh, or to, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Yeah, having enjoyed my first early potatoes. Okay, and the other thing on a positive is cherries are mm. just about ready at the moment, aren't they? But it's such yes. a game getting them before the birds do. Normally, yeah. I'm on holiday, yeah. and the cherries you, the week before you go on holiday, they're like, "Is it going to be this week?" Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and you're playing literally cat and mouse with the birds, aren't you? To when to start harvesting them before they get the first dibs. As well, it, yeah. yeah. So I think it's a difficult one, Peter. Um, yeah, if you can obviously deter them, so much the better. I mean, but obviously, something some people do try that with reasonable success, and others don't. So find out what work works best for you. But obviously, if you can cage your your fruit, so much the better. That's obviously a physical barrier. Yeah, that's one of the best ways of doing it. But uh, but. In our interview next month, it's mm. Great Hall of Cherries, isn't it? So We are, yes. So, yes. Now, so, the thing that I was blown away by was the fact they grow their cherries under polythene. Yes, through the winter. And then there's a bit of a transformation takes place, as we'll, as we'll oh, discover. right. Yes, okay. So, yeah. so they're not grown fully under polythene. It's, right. it's all part of the, the process of okay. giving that protection from the moisture. But, uh, nice yeah, we'll, yeah. So we'll, we'll be chatting to the team at... Uh, at Hallwood Cherries uh, later on this month. That'd yes. be really interesting then. Maybe I could actually learn how to grow a cherry tree soon. Or how to deter the birds. <laughs> there we go. Well, there's a talking point. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on the question list. <laughs> Brilliant. And thinning out apples. Mm. Is that something that... Yeah. Is it only young fruit that, or young trees that you need to strip? Yeah, I mean, fruit? if you... If, is if, this, or are we talking... So normally in June we get the well, traditional June drop where the plant... The fruit tree will naturally shed uh, any surplus to requirement fruits. Okay. So that can be uh, apples, pears, plums, uh, all, all, your, all your stone fruit. However, it's sometimes worth, if, it, if the plant's accessible, if it's still carrying a, a good laden fruit, you know, the, the, the stems are getting weighed down, to do a bit of additional thinning by hand. Yeah, which obviously means you've got to be able to physically get to those those branches. So if it's on a young tree, that's not a problem. If it's on a larger tree, then obviously you you need a scaffold, and uh, yeah, health and safety might be after you as well. So you'd have to be very very careful doing right. that. But if you can thin out any 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 fruits which are obviously not growing to size, or they're immature, or they've deformed in some way, yeah. to give space to the the better fruits of that that truss of, of fruit developing. I suppose it makes sense. Mm. The tree's only got so much energy, and yes. if you get too many tiny little fruits, it's no good. Whereas if you get half the number but really nice fruits, it's a great harvest. That's it? it, and because we have a natural thinning in the form of June drop, all in effectively a lot of the, the surplus ones will have gone anyway. So you you're onto a good good thing at this time of the year. However, you can help nature 
give it a helping hand to remove those uh, those unwanted ones again if your trees are very laden. I'm thinking about you know weight of fruit as well because that can obviously damage. Yeah, because you sometimes see them broken boughs, don't Indeed, you? When yes. they, they just yeah. literally get too heavy for the yeah. fruit tree and it can't sustain the weight mm. of fruit. Indeed, and if that's preventable by doing a little bit of additional pruning now, then and so and so be it. It would be would be useful to be doing. And lavender, I see, is on our discussion list, Chris. Mm. Uh, One of my neighbours has a lovely lavender hedge that they trim back, I'm going to say, September time each year when it's all finished flowering, it's Mm. all grown down. And every year they get the most amazing growth out of it and Mm. beautiful flowers Mm. this time of year. Yeah. Is that the best way to keep it? It sounds like they're doing a exactly what they should be doing Peter to ensure a good crop of a flower I think the secret is a lot of people leave it till later on in the year they'll do it in October November ah. to do the major pruning and then we get a harsh frost or we get lots of rain and yep. those poor shoots get yeah badly affected with fungal diseases or they just 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 don't grow so yeah work with nature so yeah so August end of August early September is probably a good time and obviously at this time of the year you might be wanting to harvest a few and thin out some of your lavender for drying so if you're doing that then have have a, a, a second uh, hit of, of, of pruning in another sort of yeah another two, two to three months time but I think the worst thing you could do as I say is any severe pruning later on in the year uh, you know, little and often with lavender is often the best way to keep your plant rejuvenated. Okay. And just thinking about sort of harvesting for scent, mm. we've got quite a few different sorts of lavender here, haven't mm. we? Do you know which one is the smelliest? Yeah, I, th- I think it is always a, all our the... traditional English lavender. Okay. Yes, yeah, I think it is only because um, the way it grows on the stem, yep. it's a much longer sort of wand of a flower. Uh, French lavender, and there's nothing wrong with French lavender at all. I think it makes a fantastic plant. However, they're a lot shorter. Right. Uh, they're more short. Those wonderful sort of bunny ear flowers, which you see, yeah, are, yeah. they're always on shorter stems. And naturally, even if you grow sort of Hidcote or Munstead, or if you've got the space to grow Old English lavender, which grows like three, four foot tall, you have that amazing amount of stem, which I think, again, helps the the oils within the the, the flowers because obviously it's the oils which give the plants the, yep. the the wonderful aromatic qualities. So yeah, so the more stem you have with those flowers, I think the more you know effective the better perfume. The smell. Yeah, and so presumably then it also if you've had a few days of nice warm sunshine, mm. chop it after that because Indeed. again the sun draws the oils to the surface of the. Exactly. The, the plant, so presumably, will make a better smelling flower. Yeah, do that. And obviously, yeah, watch the weather. Try and get them harvested before any rains forecast. So, yeah, just watch weather. And then, obviously, bundle them. And when you bundle lavender, don't put huge quantities together, smallish quantities where the air can circulate around. Okay. The, around yeah. the Let it dry. Dry it naturally. Brilliant. And it must be about that time of year to think about doing some propagation, isn't it, Chris? It is. Oh, it's my favourite time, Peter. Get the, yeah. get the, get the, the knife out, um, walk around the garden and take plants for free uh, from my <laughs> own garden, I'll add. Obviously, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, the, the normal suspects. So if you, you're building up your collections of, of things like penstemons or fuchsias, uh, even things like uh, you know, garden pinks, dianthus, They'll be on the list there. And, of course, good old geraniums, pelagoniums. Okay. Yeah, because we had a good display of the star mm. star pelagoniums, yes. were they? star letter or something like that. Yes, yeah. they Lovely colours and beautiful star-shaped flowers. 
As they, the name suggests. Indeed. Uh, yes, they, they, they have been around a few years, but this year we, we seem to have had more in, and they do look so different from your traditional you yeah. know, windowsill, you know, pelagonium geranium, as we, we should be calling them. Yes. But I, I don't think they particularly smelt that good, but some some really do, don't they? There's some mm. quite fun names and quite fun smells as well. Yes, so, um, I mean, I remember as a, a child going around to my, my, one of my aunts who had lemon-scented, Yep. Pelagoniums in the window. They were they grew almost to the top of the window, yeah, and yeah. They, uh, but they, the smell was pretty pretty pungent. Uh, but it was very much a, a traditional plant of the nineteen sixties and early seventies. Yeah, my grand did the same in yeah, terracotta yeah. pots. Yeah, and the, 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 yeah, the, yeah, but they they smells that I think always remind you of things. They and do. I yeah. love that uh, fact that they do remind you, and you you think about. The house that you yeah. visited as a grand, as a little boy, and suddenly those memories all come flooding back. Certainly it's do. It's, yeah, um, fragrance is a great, great way of jilting the, the memory, isn't it? And of course, now these days we've got things like orange scented pelagoniums, okay. uh, obviously lemon scented, and other, I think there's a rose scented one as well. Right. But one which often, often causes a bit of a stir. Certainly if, when I'm, if I'm going to any of the schools, uh, I always take a cola scented uh, right. geranium. And the leaf does smell of Coca-Cola. Brilliant. Other brands are available. but um, So you know, they yeah. haven't got a Pepsi one yet, then? I'm sure they will have one somewhere. <laughs> but they, 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 it's very, very sweet. It's, got, it's a very saccharine or low-sugar smell. It, it just smells so much of, okay. of a fizzy pop. That's I'll have to look out for that one yeah. next year, then. And, uh, and again, it grows really well. And a lot right. of these, um, I think there's one called Rose of Atar, A double T A R, on which room, and some of these plants, these varieties which are grown for wonderful leaves, have really nice, very small, almost like species like flowers as well. Okay. So that's another, you know, extra thing, but, but obviously very easy to grow from cuttings. Yep. And advice with all pelagoniums, geraniums, they are from South Africa. So when you take cuttings, always take the cuttings, so probably about, about three inches, so probably about ten. 11 centimetres long, cut below the, the leaf joint, below the node, yep. take the bottom leaf over, and then leave the plant for four or five hours to wilt slightly yep. so it calluses over, and then pop it into your, your nice gritty compost. Okay. Job done. You don't need to put a plastic bag over the top. You don't need to mollycoddle them at this time of the year. And they'll be rooted in about three or four weeks. Mm, brilliant. And then you've got a whole new plant. Indeed. And, and that's sometimes a really good way, Peter, of, of, of perpetuating your stock Rather than trying to keep the whole, you know, the big mother plants growing through the winter. Yep. If you've got a windowsill or a small greenhouse or these small little uh, plastic uh, zip-up greenhouses, if you can keep that frost-free, then you can grow an awful lot of plants for next year. Mm. Ooh, I suppose it gets over the problems. My memory of Granny's geraniums were, some years they look really t- tall and spindly at the bottom. They just look like... F- yeah old plants and yes. I suppose to stop that and yeah she used to take cuttings and then mm. you get nice little ones the next year indeed it, yeah and if you've got a you know if you've got a plant like that at the moment and it's in full flower and it's it's a bit unwieldy you know this is a really good time when you're taking cuttings to give the plant a really good hat back you know really take it back get okay. all those wonderful cuttings and then next year that original mother plant will have a little bit more uh, decorum about it perhaps it'll yeah, more and probably flower even better and Give, no. it, give it a bit of repot and some mm. fresh compost oh, yeah. and off it goes. Most definitely. And something I've never done, Chris, is mm. leaf cuttings. It's about time of year you can try yes. leaf cuttings. Would you say they're harder? They can be a bit more tricky, yes. Yeah. Certainly you need a nice, good sort of good old gritty compost again. So what you you do, the plants you 
propagate this way are things like uh, African violets, the, the good old St. Paulia, yep. Streptocarpus, which are in the same family as uh, African violets, and of course those wonderful, lovely foliage, Begonia rex, the ones with their bite. The really big leaf oh, ones. Oh, yeah. yeah, nice, yeah. Nice, uh, nice attractive coloured leaves. You can get them in pink, you know, sort of red and every yep. shade in between. And basically what you do with a Begonia rex leaf is you basically pick a nice, good, strong leaf, you take a little bit of the, the leaf um, stem, Yep. So a little bit of the, the stalk, get yourself a nice sort of seed tray, get a nice level compost, give it a good water, make sure it's got a good gritty compost. And basically you lay the leaf with the stalk into the compost and then you get some little, little bits of metal, um, like almost like hair grips. And you right, peg okay. down over the main stems, main veins, yeah, yeah. get yourself a sharp knife. Um, yeah, so you need like a standing knife, and then you just nick across some of the veins. You might nick four or five of the veins. Yep. Put a propagator lid on there, keep it nice and humid. And incredibly, where you've nicked those veins is where the young little plant will form. Okay. And it is quite fascinating. I did it at college. I haven't done it since, I have to say. Right. Uh, African violets are easy. They You just take the whole leaf, again, nice strong leaf. You cut the leaf back. Uh, sorry, you cut the stalk back and pop four or five leaves around the edge of a pot. Um, you can even root African violets in water. So that's a really good way right. to do it. Great, great for the kids to, yeah, to watch yeah. because it's something, yeah, you will actually see the roots develop in front of your eyes. Streptocarpus, you have to cut those into little leaf sections. That's a bit more complicated, I would say. Yep. So Begonia rex certainly is probably the most um, most adventurous, but certainly African violets are probably the most uh, interesting and most successful. Okay. Maybe we have to do a YouTube video on that, Chris. Maybe that might or be a good idea. Yeah, a bit of time lapse photography. Oh, that would be that would be interesting, that, that wouldn't would it? Be. Yes, there sure. you go. Because uh, just thinking about mm. cuttings, I can remember many years ago I did some willow cuttings, mm-hmm. and they're another really easy one, aren't they? they I had are. a, I mean, obviously used to run the aquatics department back then, so having lots of air pumps about was always beneficial. But we mm. put a little air stone with a air pump into mm-hmm. a bucket just to keep the water moving and o- well oxygenated and half a dozen sort of foot long lengths of willow mm-hmm. chucked them in yeah literally a couple of weeks later nice white roots yeah uh, the bucket was had more roots in than you could shake a stick at Fantastic. it was, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. brilliant but it, it is all about timing isn't it we're cutting so yeah work work with nature so willows you, you know you can do those really all, t- all through the year but certainly the autumn time and early yeah. part of the spring usually gives you the best results but with uh, with leaf cuttings yeah i mean certainly uh, you know investigating but it is a really good way of building your your uh, your collections of plants excellent so we talked about it earlier chris what have we got coming up in a couple of weeks time yeah so we're going to be chatting uh, to the team one of the team members at uh, hallwood cherries which is literally a, a cherry farm not that many miles from a stone's throw yeah a cherry stone throw even (laughs) (laughs) and uh, we're going to find out how you grow them commercially right uh, and what you can do with them and i'm just looking forward to actually tasting some as well to be honest with you honestly uh, cherries are one of my favorite fruits Mm. they really are they're just yummy yeah so looking forward to that uh, coming up a little bit later this month brilliant Okay, well, thanks for all your tips this month, Chris. No, thank you, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. 
We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.